The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In today's sermon, we go back to the book of Job, and we begin looking at Job's answer to Zophar's criticism. We start out with a review of where we are up to this point, including Eliphaz and Bildad's attacks, and then we move into the beginning of Job's answer, which starts in Job chapter 12. The things we see about Job and his answers are that Job is right about many things. But we're going to begin seeing some of the pride of Job slip in. And that's one of the reasons that I believe the Lord lowered the hedge so that Job might be taught a lesson about self-righteousness and pride. Join us today as we begin looking at his answer to Zophar. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. For weak and worthless, though I am, I have a rich, almighty friend. Jesus the Savior is His name. He freely loves and without end. Ransom me from hell with blood. 
may recall that when we started out in Job, we said that there were basically three, three themes that we've been looking at in that book. And that's patience, pride, and pity. And part of that comes from James, the fifth chapter. I've always heard Brother Buddy say this and other preachers that uh, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. So if you really want to know what the book of Job is all about, if you can find a reference to it somewhere else in the scriptures, that'll help you out. And in James chapter 5 and verse 11, we have that very reference. Now, the context of this statement in James 5 is suffering. There's a lot of talk in James about suffering and being patient and focusing on the coming of the Lord. In fact, verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. And then he, in talking about that patience, he comes down to verse 11. He says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. By the way, let me just stop there and say this talk that you hear out there in the world, some of these denominational churches, primarily the prosperity gospel preachers, they said, oh, you can be a victor. You can, if you'll just exercise enough faith, you, you can, you'll, over, you'll be an overcomer. Now, I realize there's a lot of talk about victory and overcoming in the Word of God. But this idea that we're going to charge hell with a water pistol and win is far into the Scriptures. What the Scriptures say about standing and about the, the battle that we face daily, spiritually, is not that we're going to be out there on some off offensive, but that we're going to just be able to endure. We're going to be able to stand. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, when he tells uh, Paul's writing there to the church at Ephesus, and he gives them the admonition to put on the whole armor of God, he says, ultimately, when he names all that armor and he talks about it, he says, that ye may be able to withstand the assaults of the wicked one. He didn't say charge him or attack him. You know, some people want to talk about the devil as if they can just dismiss him. I've seen, I hate to go to, I'm not going to name names tonight, but uh, you can look on some of the TV preaching programs, uh, especially on a certain network that, that promotes that prosperity gospel. And you'll hear these preachers stand up there as if they're God himself rebuking the devil and all the, listen, God never told us to do that. He can rebuke the devil. But he told us that even Michael didn't bring railing accusations against the devil when they were disputing over the body of Moses. I don't know what all that means, but I just know this. I know that nobody should approach the devil or his minions with bravado and some kind of, uh, some kind of idea that we can do something with him. All we really can do is stand. And that's all we need to do. That's what he wants us to do. He's defeated Jesus has defeated the devil on the cross. We just need to stand against him. And that's what he says here. He says, behold, we count them happy which endure. I'm telling you, there's a lot of trouble in the world, and we have to endure it. You know, but I'm thankful that I have an elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, who we're told endured the cross. He didn't enjoy it. He didn't name it and claim it. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. The joy wasn't in the cross. The joy was set before him. He had to endure the cross to get to the joy. Beloved, sometimes we have to endure a cross in order to achieve the joy, to see the joy. He says, we count them happy which endure. Now listen, this is a summation of the book of Job. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. I've had conversations, and I've told you this already, but I've had conversations with people 
who don't like the book of Job because they don't like what God did to Job, they say. They don't like how God treated Job. They don't understand what God was doing in the book of Job. They don't understand the role of God. If you come out of the book of Job with any idea other than that God is very pitiful and of tender mercy, then you've missed the point of Job. And you know, that kind of comes back to some of our understanding of the nature of God. In fact, this book is the first book ever written in the history of, of writing. <laughs> the first inspired book ever written in the history of writing. Had a lot of, there's a lot of historical books, but this book was the first one written. And notice what it's dealing with. It's dealing with the very kind of things we're, we're struggling with today. Our, our prayer list, as Brother Glendon often says, it's not getting any shorter. It's getting longer. I don't know about you, my troubles aren't diminishing as I get older. <laughs> my troubles are getting worse. In fact, it's funny, as I get older, troubles that when I was 20 wouldn't have been a big deal have become a big deal at 55 nearly. <laughs> uh, we were talking about driving at night, you know. And Brother Glendon said it didn't used to bother him when he was 20 or 25 years old to drive at night. And his assessment was he doesn't know if he was just that much better at driving or just that much stupider at not worrying about it. <laughs> and I kind of agree with that. I get that, Brother Glendon. But, my, but things aren't getting better and better. I'm not hearing less and less troubles in the world. I'm seeing more and more. And way back before there was ever an inspired word written, God inspired the writer of Job to write down these words about troubles. And in the book of Job, we find a, some rich truths about the nature of God. Now, again, I don't want to review too much, but I do want to go back and say this just to lay the, the foundation. Remember what we said here. He's a very pitiful and of tender mercy. And remember what God was doing. God was proud of Job. That's part of the pride. That's the theme of this book. He was proud of Job. God is proud of us when we do right. Job was a very godly man. He was the most godly man, we're told, in the east, in that land. He was the one who was living the closest to the, to the foot of the cross, we would say today. Now, that doesn't mean he was not a sinner because Another aspect of the theme of pride that we see, and we're going to see a little bit of it tonight, uh, if we get there, uh, is that Job had some pride he had to deal with in his life. He was proud. He, was, he had some self-righteousness that he had to get over. But God pointed Job out to Satan not to have Job afflicted, but because he was proud of Job, he said, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him. God said that. I didn't say it. God said that. He was apparently a very godly man. And the devil said, yeah, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, of course. You can go back and read it. But essentially the devil said, yep, I, I sure did. I sure have considered him. I've been trying to get to him, but you won't let me, God. You've got a hedge around him. And you, but the devil, I love that. I, I always have to mention it. I'm sorry. It's repetitious, but it, it just it gives me chills when I talk, think about it, how great God is, how wise he is. The devil said, God, if you'll just touch him, you reach out your hand and touch him, he'll curse you to your face. He's tempting God there, tempting God with evil, saying, God, you treat him unjustly. You treat him in a, in a way that he does not deserve from the standpoint of his actions here on this earth, that, that he's trying to live in a, in, he's living in a way that's pleasing to God. You, you touch him. And you know what God did? He didn't take the bait. He just said, 
All right, all that he has is in your hands, in your hands. Now, I realize that that doesn't answer the question of why God removed the hedge, but it does tell us what God's role is in this, and it is not to afflict his children. He afflicted his son on behalf of his children. He afflicted his son. He poured out his wrath upon his son on the behalf of every single child of God that he had chosen in his son before the foundation of the world. God is not the one who pours out uh, the troubles and trials of life. If you want to know who to blame for the problems of life, you having problems tonight? You got issues in your family? You got issues in your life? You got sickness? Maybe we talked about death. We just lost one of our sweet, precious church members. You want to know who I blame for that? Adam. Adam brought that upon us. By one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. And by the way, you're not off the hook, for that all have sinned. Oh, that Adam. I'd be perfect without Adam. No, you're a sinner too, you see. You're a sinner too. Adam's just dragging me down. Well, Adam caused the problem, but you relish in it, let me tell you. Your human nature is thrilled to death to commit the sins worse than Adam ever dreamed about. See, that's what depravity is all about. But God does not, he's not tempted with sin. He doesn't tempt any man with sin. He keeps the hedge. And Satan's the great afflictor. And what we've seen, and we're, we're going to be in chapter 12 tonight. We may go back to chapter 11 just briefly. What we've seen in the first 11 chapters is Job being afflicted by Satan, Job experiencing more trauma than anyone I know has ever experienced besides the Lord Jesus Christ, and Job so far bearing it in patience. Now, he's struggling, as you and I will struggle when we face temptations and troubles. But overall, he's bearing it in patience. But he's got three friends that have come along. And his three friends, by the way, are not the example of how we should think or how we should act. <laughs> but basically how we shouldn't. See, they had, they had come up with their own idea of God. This is some of that. Apparently, it's the self-righteousness permeated the worship in that day. Apparently, there was this idea of, of some kind of divine karma that, that, that always applied. In other words... Whatever you do, you get what you deserve. If you, if you are suffering, Job, if you're suffering like you're suffering, that means you must have done some kind of sin that caused it. Now, Job was a sinner, yes. We don't need to, ever need to lose sight of that fact. It becomes plain as we go through the book. Job was a sinner, but he had not committed any particular sin that had brought this tr trouble upon him. He had not... He had not gone out and murdered somebody or robbed a bank or done something like that in his experience and the consequences of his actions in the, in the sense of some grand sin, grand public sin that he's committed. He's not a notorious sinner in the sense of it all being on display for the world to see. But his friends came and said, Job, you must have some deep, dark, secret sin that's causing this to come upon you because God wouldn't do this otherwise. They had this idea of God that they had drawn up in their minds. And Eliphaz, his first friend, relying on his own experience, came in and just crushed the spirit of Job. 
He had this legalistic cause and effect kind of thinking that we've been talking about. He was the kind of guy that would have said, oh, you got cancer? You must have done something bad. Oh, your, your, your child's gone astray? Well, you just were a bad parent. You know, <laughs> a child going astray is a horrible thing, and it can result from bad parenting. But I want to tell you, on the basis of not just the Word of God, but experience, it can happen whether you're a good parent or a bad parent. All we can do as parents is do the best we can to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But I guess what? When they hit 19 or 20 or 21 years old, <laughs> not much you can do with them anymore. They, they're going to do their own thing. And by the way, that means it's on them <laughs> at that point. Now, that doesn't mean your heart's not going to hurt and you're not going to be heartbroken. But ultimately, when you become a man or you become a woman, it's on you, child of God what you do. But Eliphaz is the kind of person who would say, oh, that poor old brother Chris and Sherry, they just were terrible parents. It had to be. Or, or you know, our daughter, as you know, Ashley has diabetes. Now, I, I have to admit, I, buy, I used to buy into that kind of thinking a little bit. What did I do that caused her to get diabetes, you know? Uh, struggled with that years ago. Now I realize that God didn't wad up a big old ball of diabetes and throw it down into her. And it wasn't because Chris did something or Sherry did something. You don't want to know why she's got diabetes? Because when Adam fell, our very DNA was corrupted. And some of us are more susceptible to diabetes. Some of us are more susceptible to cancer. Some of us are more susceptible to depression and other things like that. You see, it's all a result of sin and not from God. But Eliphaz would have not thought that. And Bildad's even worse. It kind of gets progressively worse. He, he's, he's resting on the history of the ancients. He says, look, you look down through history. I know what I'm talking about. God wouldn't do this. This Christian karma is what prevails. But that is not the correct thinking. And then we came to Zophar. That was the last message we had. And that was from chapter 11. And essentially, Zophar... He's the harshest of all of them. And he's leaping to conclusions. He's, he's, he's going farther than the others. He's, he's basically said in the first four verses, Job, you are guilty before God. You, there's no question. You're talking too much and I'm going to answer you. You are guilty before God. And by the way, you're also ignorant of God. Beginning in verse 5, he says, I just wish God would come down and speak to you. And he would show you the secrets of his wisdom. And, and that, 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 that in verse 6, he says, Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserveth. Let me stop there and say this. I've told you when we started. There's some true statements throughout the book of Job. 90% of the time, they're used in the wrong way. <laughs> That's a true statement. Do you realize that you get less than you deserve every day? Anytime you experience troubles, you ought to get more troubles. You ought to experience more because you're, you're such a sinner and I'm such a sinner. But how would it be if I come to you on your sick bed and I say, well, you need to cheer up because you ought to be sicker. <laughs> You know, well, what if I came to you in your time of financial crisis and say, you know, instead of comforting you, I said, well, it's, I know you had to go bankrupt. You ought to have lost everything. You don't deserve what you got. Well, see, that's the problem was not the truth. I mean, those are truths. But, you know, Proverbs talks about a word spoken in due season. There are times when you should speak these kind of truths. There are times when you just need to sit there and be quiet. 
and share the burden with your friend. You know, if Jesus did that to us every time we messed up, oh my goodness, wouldn't it? You know, I'm the world's worst, I told you so, person. My kids will tell you, I, it's, it's, it's so hard for me when I've told them something and it doesn't work out. It works out just like I told them. It doesn't work out for them. It works out just, and I want to say, well, I told you so, but you know, I'm, go, I'm so glad Jesus is not the great I told you so. He's the one that loves me and forgives me. And I struggle with that, but I need to be more like him. He says, Job, you don't know anything about God. And ultimately, he tells him down the last part of that chapter, he said, you just need to get right with God. That's your problem, Job. You need to get right with God. Because that's the way this works. Until you get right with God, you're not going to ever be right. So, now, what I want to start beginning in verse chapter 12 we're going to start looking at Job's answer and then some questions that Job asks. In chapter 12, Job gives an answer, begins to give an answer to Zophar's harsh assessment. And I want you to notice that Zophar's speech is the shortest speech so far. But Job's answer is the longest so far, the longest answer he's given so far. And in chapter 12, he essentially says to Zophar in response to all, you know, Zophar says, you don't know anything about God. You're ignorant. Uh, all these things are coming upon you for a reason. And in chapter 12, Job essentially just says to Zophar, Zophar, God is so great. I know a little bit about him. He's so great. Notice in verses 1 through 3, Job answered and said, No doubt, but ye are the people. And wisdom shall die with you. But I have understanding as well as you. I'm not inferior to you. Yea, who knoweth not such things as these? I am as one mocked of his neighbor who calleth upon God, and he answereth him. The just upright man is laughed to scorn. He's saying to Zophar and to his friends, the friends are listening, no doubt. He said, you may, apparently they were older than him. Apparently, he said, in no doubt you're the people. You're the... You know, you may be older than me, but I know a little bit about God, too. I know a little bit about my creator. I know a little bit about my maker, about my Lord, too. Now, I want to say to you, child of God, there's no place for pride in the kingdom of God, but there is a place for confidence in Scripture. Don't let anybody belittle your knowledge of Scripture. And that's one th reason it's important to stay in the Scripture. I feel so sorry for Job. And I even feel sorry for these miserable comforters of, that were friends of his so-called. Because they didn't have the Scripture. They didn't have the Bible, but we do. We have everything we need right here. Young men, old men, young women, older women. It, it, you, have you got questions about things in life? It's all answered right here. It doesn't jump out of the page at you. And sometimes it's hard to decipher, but stay with it and you will find the answers. I heard it said one time, J. Vernon McGee, I believe it was, made the statement in his Through the Bible series that if God spoke out of heaven today, he'd just repeat something he's already said. <laughs> you know why? Because he's given us all we need to know. Well, even so, apparently back then they had some knowledge of God. And Job says, I know a little bit about God. He's kind of being sarcastic here. Yeah, I, you're the people. I guess wisdom's going to die with y'all. But I know a little bit too. Paul told Timothy over there in 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no man despise thy youth, 
but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity. Young men, older men too, and women. But, but any, don't let anybody belittle what you know of the Scripture. It doesn't matter who it is. If they're giving you unscriptural advice, you can be sure that you know more than they do. Test the advice you get against the Scriptures. And in verses 4 and 5, he says, I am as one mocked of his neighbor who calleth upon God, and he answereth him. The just upright man is laughed to scorn. He that is ready to slip with his feet is as a lamp despised in the thought of him that is at ease. What he's basically saying there is that you, you're my friends, but you're mocking me, and you're making me a laughing stock. And in verse 5, he's saying to him, when you're at ease... It's easy to dismiss the suffering of one who's ready to slip. I, I believe that's a place I've been in my life from time to time. Ready to slip with his feet. Over in the 73rd uh, Psalm, I believe it is, uh, the psalmist wrote, My steps had well nigh slipped. <laughs> and he was talking about he was in a place of great depression because he had his eyes upon the world around him and seeing that the wicked sometimes prosper, oftentimes prosper, while the, while the pure at heart, while the godly are treated in a, in a, in a, uh, a scandalous way. He said, my steps, he said, I was almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. And, and, and he's saying, that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm about to slip. My steps are slipping. I'm losing it here, guys. And you are here mocking me, making it laugh. And it's easy to do that when you're sitting over here in the seat of ease. And someone's over here suffering. And you can stand back over there and judge them real well, can't you? You can say, well, he ought to do this and he ought to do that. And, and my point is this, that don't we always have the temptation of going there? That's, that's what, why in the world did you do this? What in the world were you doing? You know, but that's not what Job needed. This was a man whose steps were slipping. His, as, as, the, as the psalmist over there in Psalm 73, he was almost gone. He was in great distress. He was struggling. He didn't need to be berated. And that's what they were doing. They were berating him. And it's easy to do that when you're not the one in that position. And he goes on to talk about some more things that we're running out of time to talk about. Let's just move on just a little ways and then we'll, we'll come back to this next time. Notice in verse 6, The tabernacles of robbers prosper, and they that provoke God are secure, into whose hand God bringeth abundantly. And what he's saying here is he's hit upon a truth that escaped Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. And that is that sometimes the wicked prosper. It's not always a given that you have done something bad and that's why you're suffering. He says robbers and provokers of God often prosper and it's as if God is blessing them abundantly. And he's saying to him, Zophar, all this stuff you're telling me about Christian karma, I know it sounds good. You're a great theologian. You're wise. He was being sarcastic when he said that. You're wise, no doubt, but... But you're missing the point. It doesn't work out that way in real life. And that's what I love, by the way, about the book of Job. It brings it down to where we live. And it gives us an idea here of, wait a minute, way back thousands of years ago, Job experienced some of the same things I'm going through. Job lost children. 
Job lost stuff. He lost his financial standing. He even lost his reputation in the community because if Zophar and Bildad and Eliphaz were thinking this way, you know the rest of the community had to be thinking something bad has happened to Job and that means he is a great sinner. In verses 7 down through verse 10, he says, Ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? He's, he's basically saying here, Zophar, you say you have more wisdom than anybody else, but even the beasts could teach you some things. Even they know the source, capital S, source of their livelihood. Job understood the source of life. Now, I will say here that I think you see a little bit of confusion slipping into Job's thinking. He's beginning to say, the hand of the Lord has wrought this. We often go there, don't we? We often say, oh, God did this to me. God did this to her or to him. God didn't always do this to you. It's not always God. Sometimes it is chastening, but oftentimes it's not chastening. It's not God doing this. And he says, you could learn from the, from the fowls of the air and the beasts. Verse 11, doth not the ear try words and the mouth taste his meat? In other words, He's given us the ability to taste and judge food. Do you think you, Zophar, have a monopoly on evaluating words that you hear and assessing truth? I can do that too. No doubt you're the, you're the wise ones. You think you're the most knowledgeable, but I've got some knowledge too. And then as he goes on down through the rest of the chapter, and we won't, we won't go any farther tonight, but just notice that beginning in verse 12, he begins to describe the wisdom and the power of God. The ancient in verse 12 refers to God, I believe. With the ancient is wisdom, and in length of days understanding. With him is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and understanding. The reason I believe that is verse 14. Behold, he breaketh down, and it cannot be built again. He shutteth up a man, and there can be no opening. He's referring here to God. And ultimately, he's basically saying that God can do whatever he wants to do and man is unable to stop him, which is absolutely true. Psalm 115 and verse 3, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. As we bring this to a close tonight, it's important to, to realize or to think about what that verse just said. God hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. When I say I'm, I'm going to do whatever I please, that may be a very arbitrary thing for me. You know, it may be that I'm going to eat what I please. I'm going to watch what I please. You know, it may be that I, it pleases me to watch, you know, an NFL football game. It may be that it pleases me to watch some sitcom. You know, it may be that it pleases me to eat um, tofu. <laughs> It does not please me to eat tofu. But it may be that it pleases me to eat something that's good for me. It may be that it pleases me to eat something that's bad for me. It may please me to be ugly to you when you don't do what I want. But see, 
The difference in me and God is that God always pleases to do right. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? When it says he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased, yes, God is totally sovereign. He is the absolute potentate of the um, omnipotent potentate of the universe. But God will never act contrary to his nature. And, that, and by the way, that's why the doctrine of election is so sweet. It's because God is, anything and everything that God does is right and righteous. So those that accuse God of being unrighteous, is there unrighteousness with God? That's the objection we hear. It wouldn't be right for God to do this. God is always right. And if you understand election in any way other than according to God's own nature, then you don't understand election. That's why we don't believe in double predestination. We don't believe God predestinated people for hell. They didn't need God's help getting to hell. Adam's sending us to hell, and we were, on our, we were merrily on our way. We needed God's help to get to heaven. We needed His predestinating power, His glorious, gracious, electing grace to get us to heaven. You see, He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased, and He always pleases to do right. And that's what we need to remember here in the book of Job. Whatever God is doing, whether we understand it or not, it's right. But I think we're going to be able to understand it as we go through uh, to a great extent. We'll never plumb the depths of the book of Job, but we at least can understand some things that I think will help us in these troubled times. When you find yourself afflicted like Job and you find yourself with miserable comforters in the world that are trying to tell you these things that aren't helpful to you, flee to the word of God. Look to the nature of God. That's what comforted Job. Job struggled. We're going to see Job got off track. Job got to the point where he wanted to see God and plead his case before God. <laughs> and you know the rest of that story. God did show up and Job couldn't even speak. And I don't think it was just because Job was afraid. I think Job was awed by this great God that loved him so much. Because you see, when God got through talking, he vindicated Job. And he got on to the friends that were miserable comforters. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.